0: Welcome to Directly Correct, a okay, nice podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, Dr. Amit Mohindra. Awesome sweater. There
1: he is. How's it going? It's going well, thanks. So nice to be here, thank you. Yeah, nice are, to you meet feeling, you. are you feeling any better?
2: I'm feeling better, yeah. It was, okay. uh, it's some sort of head cold, beginnings flu. Uh, we forget that these other normal things still happen. Uh, <laughs>
0: no, yeah, sometimes I just tell people like I don't want to be on camera. Just like, <laughs> hey, not interested yeah. today.
1: When the last episode that we launched, I actually had the flu on the episode. I didn't find oh, out until no. afterwards. So, you know, I think yeah, we're, I'm pretty in touch with what you're going through right now for sure.
2: Well, you're a brave and committed man. <laughs>
3: <I> <laughs>
1: do <don't> uh, <laughs> uh,
3: do
0: you have any uh, holiday plans, Amid?
2: Uh, not really. Uh, we were going to go to London, but those plans fell through. So probably just, uh, staycation and maybe a couple of nights up in New Hampshire or Maine or something.
0: Man, I've been to London during the holidays. It's absolutely magical. Like you know, the big, like, winter wonderland thing in Hyde Park. It's, it's absolutely just fantastic. Well, yeah. sorry, you're not going to be able to join. Yeah, way,
1: way to rub it in, Scott.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And it's snowing over there right now, too. I'm sure it's just wonderful. Some other time. When, it, Some other time.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, you, you've been a podcast listener, haven't you, Amit?
2: I have, yeah. I've got quite a few of your episodes. Always uh, so much fun. Uh, I think you guys just bring <laughs> a, a dimension that we haven't had before of fun and spontaneity and... Uh, I love all the different parts of it, the nerdery, the surprise stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to go a totally different direction, like, and nobody asked for it, the dimension that you guys bring. So, <laughs> so that's kind of what we're about here.
0: Big question yeah. mark over our head sometimes, right? So we don't know. We don't have all the answers, which is why we got you here. So you can help fill, all, fill the gap.
3: Well, I'm here well, to
0: get
2: answers from you guys. So there's been some miscommunication, apparently. <laughs>
1: Scott's the only one with answers on this call. I'm still trying to figure it out.
0: I, I got answers, but perhaps not right answers. Yeah. I got yeah. opinions.
1: Well, Amit, tell me this, because I, I, I think, I can't remember who, whose episode it was, but one of the episodes I was talking about doing like a genealogy of people analytics and, uh, you know, how there's like certain figures that play like a key role in the past or like the creation of people analytics. I definitely see you in that genealogy of sorts, with kind of what you've done and what you've brought to the field. So, what is it like being an elder statesman in the people <laughs> analytics field?
2: Hmm. <laughs> so, I, I, I take that um, with love, uh, as I'm sure it's meant. Uh, but I think elder statesman—I'm not sure that <laughs> what I want to be necessarily viewed as. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, if if uh, if if it were to be a member of the pantheon of people analytics uh, pioneers, I'd love to be there. Maybe pioneer is a good.
1: Yeah, uh, pioneer.
2: Good use. But, What's it like uh, to be a
1: people analytics pioneer? pioneer. I reversed my question. <laughs> no, no
2: worries. Uh, you know, pioneer or um, another way to look at it is, and this is triggered by uh, somebody from my high school who just yesterday was named as the editor of the Wall Street Journal. And really? she was described wow. as a veteran journalist. So maybe I'm a veteran people analytics leader. And when there you do something done right, uh, you can't afford to take any chances. You bring in the veteran. So That's you
0: you guys must have like a, a hell of a class reunion when you get together. Be like, you know, I'm people analytics pioneer. Like, well, I'm editor of the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> get to compare uh, notes.
2: Uh, I'm I'm in I'm not in that pantheon. We have a very illustrious uh, uh, class. So just quick digression. Uh, you guys may not know, but I went to high school in New Mexico. I spent yeah, the last years of high school in the mountains of New Mexico. At an international school that was uh, part of a broader movement uh, designed to promote peace and international understanding, oh. and it was founded by. Uh, couple of folks who wanted to prevent a second world war from happening or a third world war from happening and so they brought together students at a young age 16 to 19 to live and study together and essentially try and create relationships and understandings that would lead to um
1: admit i'm I'm gonna have to admit this this this, that either sounds amazing or it might be a cult was it a cult
2: uh, not a car, no, no, it was the latter, it was, it was amazing. So imagine, uh, so I was in the first batch, first class of that school in New Mexico. We had a kids okay. from uh, about 43 countries, but, you know, Israel, Palestine, Rwanda, Burundi, after civil war.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, well, so, so far, so good. I mean, like, it's working. Soviet,
2: I'll date myself, Soviet Union. <laughs> Uh, yeah. PRC, before there were any other Chinese students outside uh, China, a long time ago. Um, black and white South Africans, Indians and Pakistanis.
3: So you can imagine uh, quite, quite, wow, quite
2: uh, um, an engaging couple of years.
1: You are about to learn how uncultured Scott and I are in this discussion, <laughs> but it sounds amazing. Like you, you just checked all the boxes did Is it like, was it meant to be like counterparts from different countries? Like who, was there a counterpart to you? Did Was there somebody you were supposed to like bond with?
2: No, not necessarily. There were, you know, every country has a national committee and they select students. So it's all based on merit. Most of the okay. students are in scholarship. Um, so you get a, a range of, of uh, backgrounds.
0: Yeah. So up in like Rio Doso, New Mexico?
2: It's in a town called Montezuma, which has Montezuma. probably more sheep than people till the school <laughs> arrives, and that's um, about an hour and a half from Santa Fe. Okay. And my that's dream, wild. I should, I should perhaps talk about it now, is to have a people analytics conference in Santa Fe, New Mexico. One day we. will well,
1: Let's do it. No, <laughs> yeah. no, let's make it happen. The Normcore conference hasn't happened yet. It could always be in Santa Fe
2: that could be but i think normcore is already planned and i was a little too late to get to get in um for a slot but i'm looking forward to that that's next week i think right or when oh no,
1: so this is this is, so that the actual normcore conference the real one is happening on december 15th but uh the we, like this is a spin off just for people analytics and you are you are not late at all <laughs> this is this is probably going to happen next summer at the earliest
2: okay fantastic yeah So
3: I digress. I'll I'll Uh, send you the
1: link, actually, to sign up.
2: Yeah, what was the the original question before I diverted us?
0: How how does it feel to be a pioneer of this people analytics world we live in?
2: Uh, It feels good. Uh, It does feel (laughs) good. Um, I have to say that it, uh, what are the elements of that feeling? Good. I think it allows me to be in my uh, coach mode and help people. It allows me to be in my teacher mode, um, and I love yeah. doing those things. And so, and then it's it's you know you, uh, you know as a, so I think of it more as still a pioneer and still many more things to figure out and understand, as opposed yeah. to looking backwards and saying, "Hey, it's all been done." So the future is is quite bright, I think, for people. So much still to happen. Um, so. Boys, yeah, for um, for those, customers.
3: of course, of course. Like, well, do you so, mind so, if
1: I look backwards for a second, just for <laughs> the audience's sake? So, um, I wanted to introduce you real quick. Amit. Um, it, you're the founder and CEO of the firm People Analytics Success. You've built and scaled people analytics teams at Apple, McKesson, and Wayfair. You also began your professional career as a labor economist at the World Bank and worked for a few firms like Goldman Sachs, IBM, Lucent Technologies, and Willis Towers Watson. Uh, you're currently leading the data and analytics insights teams at Takeda uh, Pharmaceuticals on the global corporate affairs and sustainability function. And just two kind of interesting asides. One is you're an advisor to an HR technology venture capital firm, Semper Verans, and you're also teaching people analytics virtually at the Stanford Continuing Studies Program. So. And, and I'm not even mentioning everything that you've I got a heck of a a bio here. Um and one funny aside admit, I actually randomly had lunch with somebody I was mentoring um that was from Australia uh that happened to be in Dallas today and they took your Stanford course. And I was mm-hmm. like I'm talking to Amit this afternoon. It's amazing. It's such a small world. So, I just wanted to kind of point that out there but Maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like or what it is like teaching people analytics at Stanford.
2: Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's uh, certainly a privilege. I've been doing it since about 2019. And initially, it was an in-person course, uh, sort of like a seminar, two days over a weekend. But before that, I'd been teaching at uh, UC Berkeley. So within their HR certification program, there was a course on people. Analytic. And so I taught that first, but there was, uh, it was very hard to change the curriculum uh, in a public university. And so Stanford offered more freedom and flexibility. I could essentially create my own course. So I switched over to Stanford and uh, it's in the continuing studies program. And so you get a lot of variety in terms of the students. Uh, the timings are set for California time. So it's 5 to, I think, 6.45 in the evenings. But increasingly, it's grown very international. And so obviously, there are some countries, because the time zone, you can't make it. But we've had people uh, from as far as Australia, India, a lot of folks from uh, Central South America as well, it turns out. Um, So you get people who are interested in people analytics from different uh, standpoints. So you have people analytics professionals, practitioners, leaders, uh, people who are just starting, people who are thinking of starting. You have CEOs of uh, people analytics technology companies. You have folks from venture capital, um, just a wide variety. And, and the beauty of it is I do some of the teaching, but everyone also learns from each other because they all bring such varied and rich experiences. Uh, and i've had to keep increasing the the time so it used to be i think uh, 90 minutes then i've increased it successively to to one uh, 1 hour and 45 minutes
0: you're in demand yeah. you're in demand well we can
2: never complete the syllabus in time because there's always discussion um and anyway so uh, i think we have we have uh, um always a lot of fun and yeah. i learn a lot throughout the course um, it's a it's about thirty people. We keep a cap and it fills up each time. Uh, I'm teaching well, like I-
1: twenty minutes, right? I, I keep seeing that. <laughs> people try to sign up and it gets filled up really quickly.
2: Uh, I don't know if it's that fast, but uh, you have to watch for the 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 announcement. So I used to teach in the summer and winter quarters, and now I'm switching it up, so I'm teaching in the spring and fall quarters. So I think the next quarter starts in. Uh, late March, early April, and goes for eight sessions, eight that's Tuesdays.
0: Have Have you been following this uh, the developments of this Chat GPT event? Yeah. <laughs> it uh, is I, absolutely. I, 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 posted,
2: I posted a comment there saying uh, I don't need to do office hours for my course anymore <laughs> because people can just ask this uh, this chat. Uh, you know. Well, I mean, like
0: that—that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, like what impact is this going to have on you teaching, especially in like a remote environment when the kids can just plug in all the text into chat, GBT, summarize it. Do they read it? Maybe, maybe not. What, what, what implications are there for the education?
2: Huge implications, right? So uh, in a sense, it democratizes uh, a lot of information to people. Um, it expands the, the realm of what's available. Um, you know whether it's your library or or uh, places in the internet you're used to seeing or think of seeing. So it, it just pulls everything that you wouldn't even be aware of and puts it in front of you. Um, Any, even the, the, even the side, teaching, yeah, yeah. So so uh, can it replace teachers uh, to some extent for some basic stuff? But I think like with all AI, you need some sort of human layer on top. To have the best usage of it, um, but you know uh, what I've seen so far. Uh, you know Richard Rosnow's post, the questions he asked, uh, which were pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I I heard in another podcast that there was another usage where they asked it to um, write an academic paper, um, and and it also created the sources some of which were fake <laughs> you know, just made up sources the people's names but made up the 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 sources which is <laughs> that's really something Yeah, and you know so turing test easily passed on this one uh, easily
0: it, it sounds like the, the one thing it can't recreate though is those uh side conversations or the discussions that your students are finding so valuable right
2: yeah, and also the the experiences that people bring. So, if unless someone's published an experience, written a blog post about it, and it you know it comes up in in the search for company and people like, uh, use case or, or case study, um, you'd miss that. And then I think on, uh, it's all math, science, psychology, economics. Mm-hmm. But, uh, to make the magic, you need the, the I think the human element to explain it to put the pull everything together, contextualize it.
1: Well, and I think it relates somewhat to this concept, like the barrier of entry to getting insights is dropping dramatically, right? It it was already dropping before the invention of things like chat GPT, but it's dropping even further. And one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about today, Amit, was this article you had from back in the day called Three Laws of Workforce Analytics. And I even heard you speak in New York about this concept lately about the second law, which I think is becoming more and more salient as the barrier to entry for insights is lowering, which is the consumption of workforce analytics requires effort, right? And so if the the barrier to creating insights is functionally zero, then all that's left to do something with it is effort, yeah. right? I don't know. Do you want to talk about that at all?
2: Yeah, sure. So you've, you've articulated the second law uh, perfectly. Um, when I published it in 2015, uh, I put law in a in, uh, quotation mark because uh, I wasn't that confident at that time. <laughs> but the, the, the reason I wrote the blog post was it was 2015. It was the anniversary of Moore's Law, is the April 14th or something, and I was about to join Apple on Monday, so I figured let me write something uh, and put it out there uh, that helps other people, uh, that kind of you know condenses some of the learnings I've had, and because I knew that once I joined Apple I wouldn't be able to publish uh, because of you know. The practice of being very because uh,
1: it's apple we all know <laughs> so
2: so so i i wrote it out uh, so three laws this and the second law is perhaps the most mundane sounding and if you just read it it probably doesn't make too much sense but at the end of the day in my experience uh, and i think you've heard me say before you 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 may have come across some of my writings that People analytics is largely, at this stage, still even about leading change, right? Changing the way people think, behave, act in HR and, and outside. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to be constantly disappointed and frustrated. So, uh, so the consumption piece comes in. Uh, so we're all very excited in people analytics to produce analyses, to build dashboards. But what I find is that people are very happy when a dashboard, for example, is, is built. is always rejoicing in the land you know, because it's so awesome. Yes. Dashboards yes. can be very thrilling. But then invariably the usage drops off. And uh, many reasons, partly I think because of this need to do, do the work because no dashboard can give you exactly what you want. So you have to dig around and get things from different places and come up with your argument and build the case and, and you know, do the analysis. So I noticed people were loath to do that. And so, uh, so there was that. And then also, I think people began to kind of assume that once there was an analytic theme, that that was also the end of the story, that they would come up with all the answers but uh, it's, a, it's a transformation. How little did they know? Yeah, it's a transformation <laughs> of HR. Everyone in HR needs to be able to do it. And I think people analytics is only going to be ultimately successful if it's in the bloodstream, if people don't have to go to the central organization to get their answers or to you know, study their situation. So,
1: how do, how do you make it in the bloodstream, just out
3: of curiosity, from your experience?
2: So you, you have to uh, enable it, right? So the approach that I've taken is you have to make people, of course, comfortable with it. Then you have to help people uh, become confident in their capabilities. And then you have to make them capable so they're actually able to, to Oh,
1: three
0: Cs. I like it.
2: Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Maybe just my consulting yeah. ba- uh, background Automatically came up with the three.
0: I, I I sense a new paper coming up, a new blog post, yeah. somewhere in the future. So so it's it's not only about uh, making people comfortable with like someone else deriving insight, but also make it easy for people to take these insights and implement them, right? Or or is it just the implementation phase that people struggle with?
2: Well, I think the easier you make it, the more consumable you make it, the more uptake you'll get, and the more people will use your insights and act upon them. But I think sometimes we probably over-rotate on the simplification for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. One, there's this whole thing about make it into a story. Two, there's this notion that, uh, oh, we shouldn't burden people with HR terminology. Right? And so we try and uh, you know mush it into such um bite size, uh, easy, like a mama bird, you know, chewing food <laughs> and kind yeah. of bird. And I think we do some disservice to the function and to ultimately our, our clients. I think we have to again make people comfortable with this, whether it's HR or, or our clients who are consuming people analytics um, outside HR even.
0: It It is funny. You, you'll perform this entire analysis and like, you know, it just takes you like perhaps weeks, months, and you have all these beautiful insights and it gets distilled down to say one bullet point that gets into a PowerPoint. And that's, that's the whole takeaway. And like, you hear it repeated in the organization. You're like, yeah, but it's more nuanced than just like 85% increase in this variable based on this. It's, Kind of disheartening in a lot of ways, but it does get distilled down because otherwise you won't get the uptake.
3: Yeah,
2: well, for scientists like you guys, it is disheartening, right? Because there are so many qualifications, and you feel uh, nervous or you, you feel you haven't done your job by providing uh, a parameter estimate, for example, without providing more background on how you estimated it and
3: what the drawbacks were. Um, but
2: I think, on the other hand, it gets traction. Uh, these numbers get discussed; they bring attention, and ultimately, some you know it, it drives uh, debate and maybe yeah. further research. So, uh, and then, I, you know, the whole a lot of HR work is all revolves around surveys. Not once have I, or very infrequently, has anyone ever asked about sample selection bias or how this? You know, how did you? <laughs> choose the people to do the survey or uh, we just take it for granted. And these survey numbers are quoted as if they're, uh, you know, infallible.
0: Mm-hmm. But you, you also bring up a good point about like HR professionals in particular, when it comes to like sharing the numbers. Uh, I, I think because for whatever reason, HR has a need to show their work because they are not part of the business. Right. And if any of those numbers are wrong or off for some reason, then you kind of get pinned to the floor because like, oh, well, we can't trust any of your work because, you know, this number is off.
2: Well, you know, let me, let me uh, argue against that. So I think we, we put too hard a burden on ourselves in terms of specificity on the numbers. Exactly. I think uh, uh, there's classical physics and there's quantum physics, there's math and there's fuzzy math. Um, not to say people analytics is like quantum physics or that it's uh, fuzzy in any way, but you have to be careful about being so precise uh, to the very headcount yes. um, or, or um, any other parameters. So I think you have to set that expectation to begin with. And yeah, it is easy to, to attack the data, uh, but we can attack finance data, we can attack operations data. I don't know why HR folks are, are immune You should be able to um, answer those questions. So this is where familiarity with the data, the fact that you've actually worked with it, you understand it, um, helps. But I also think that it's a bit of a chip on our shoulder that we think of the business and we think of HR. Yeah. What I try and encourage my students um, and folks in my team to think of is that we are... Uh, we're in the business of talent right and the business of talent like any other business thrives on information you can't develop strategy without information and insight and 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 like any business it's got its own jargon right and and so we shouldn't be shy to talk about certain things Um, in fact if if people truly are the most important asset if uh, you know human capital is so important then everyone needs to speak the language
1: totally agree well i want to i kind of want to build on this for a second and you know i I do agree that we as a field and sometimes the hr function itself has a chip on its shoulder but also to kind of take the other side of the argument are we being critical enough of ourselves um in terms of like I I saw that you had messaged something about the unanalytics award that has been, has come up in the past of something that you've done. And, and, and I'm wondering, you know, we, we are pretty friendly and we are pretty supportive of each other in terms of, you know, the content that gets put out about people analytics. I think we get a lot of co-cheerleading and stuff. Should we be more critical of ourselves and maybe explain what the unanalytics award was?
2: (laughs) Sure. So, uh, so I think our deep analytics community is just wonderful, right? As you said, so supportive, so inclusive. Um, everyone helps each other, and uh, I mean, even things like sharing about jobs, where the same people might be competing for the same job, but that's fine, you know. Uh, so, and if you go to conferences and you 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 or listen to stuff, podcasts, whatever. Uh, it's all very positive, and when people present results, everyone uh, you know listens and 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 uh, takes it, appreciates it. But I, I, I don't think there is enough uh, critique yet, right? So sometimes in LinkedIn posts you may have some conversation and some, some people will will uh, pull up some points. But again, if you go back to your academic days when people visiting professors or there were seminars and people presented stuff. Uh, I don't know how it is with psychologists, but economists, boy, they ripped each other's work to shreds. <laughs> Try <not laughs> to find any fault. Um, it's almost like a blood sport. But you have uh, to. That, be, but your work. still, that still
0: occurs. It still occurs.
2: <laughs> but your work had to be strong enough, so it it builds, uh, you know, a degree of of quality. So, uh, so I, I think we could probably, you know, um, have forums where. There is a bit more dialogue in the sense of constructive feedback, um, a bit more probing on what exactly was your methodology, um, you know, what was the situation. So just more uh, probing, uh, situational interview almost, right? <laughs> of, of the of the work, um, and I think it'll be healthy. I think there are perhaps uh, venues that are better placed for it, like workshop, uh, yeah. versus um, presentations. But, you know, presentations always have the opportunity for questions. And, uh, and I think it's I think we do have to be somewhat diplomatic and you can always
1: have. Um, well, I, I want to we... make a criticism here for a second. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I of keep thought, seeing right? these exactly. art- when
1: well, it's not of you. It's just I see these articles all the time and it's like we did a, a study that showed that Top companies do following XYZ practice. And therefore, if you do following XYZ practice, you'll make $50 yeah. billion dollars more a year. And I'm like, this is such a garbage science <laughs> and no and everybody cheerleads. And I'm like, come on, this is not, this is at best a correlational study, if that. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if you've seen that or experienced that, but that is a frustration of mine.
2: Yeah, no, that happens all the time. I mean, all these things can be used, misused, abused. Uh, and that's why it's important for folks in HR to be comfortable with, with this notion of uh, analysis and uh, what what makes sense. Um, and the fact that, you know, again, as scientists, we know that everything we come up with could be wrong. We have to be open mm-hmm. to the fact that we're fallible. Um, and in many cases, in situations, it's hard to do that. You have to you have to go in guns blazing, you can't, you know, appear
3: to admit that uh, you may have left out a, a
2: variable or you may have uh, not considered something.
0: So, I mean, like, well, with that said, like you're on the conference board, you're in a unique position to see, you know, what's coming around the end. Like what, what's, what's the future of people analytics hold?
2: The future of people analytics. <clears throat>
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I guess in my incarnation as a people analytics veteran, this should be a natural question. <laughs> um, and it's a good question, something we should always be be asking ourselves. Uh, I think it's a bright future. Uh, I think obviously more and more companies have people analytics teams. Um, there are more and more uh, upcoming and veteran
3: people analytics leaders to lead these, these teams. I think, again, coming back to trying to uh, infuse people analytics into the bloodstream of HR. Uh, I think teams should should grow to
2: meet the demand, right? And that's the first law of workforce analytics that the demand for workforce analytics grows exponentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But over time, you've got to build the assets. You've got to roll out um, certain things that uh, equip, HR people to fend for themselves, to fish for themselves, if you will. And so at some point, the central team uh, should get smaller and uh, capabilities emerge in the regions, in the business units, um, or, or sub or little teams, Yeah. Uh, uh, because I think you, in the bloodstream means you're right there near the organs, you know, near the yeah. tissue. And so you're right there in the business and you're best positioned to understand what is the need uh, and what, what can we do
3: to um, to achieve our business objective uh, that could
2: be influenced by some talent uh, dynamic or or, or situation.
1: Well, my, my riff on this has been people analytics moves from being an add-on to the way that business is done, which is essentially, I think what you're saying, like in the bloodstream, mm-hmm. right? And once it's in the bloodstream, you don't have all that waste and inefficiency of it being an add-on. And so, I agree that teams could get smaller because, again, you're kind of um, crowdsourcing the people analytics knowledge in the organization, and so therefore you don't need it just to reside in a few individuals.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the other uh, aspect of the future of people analytics, I've always maintained that in time, the next heads of HR. Will largely come from the ranks of people analytics leaders, right?
0: Because that makes sense.
2: Uh, people analytics leaders see everything; but they kind of understand different parts of the HR uh, world and machinery. Um, and previously, they used can to I poke more...
1: on this a little bit, Amit? Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. Because I actually used to believe this, and then I I got closer to the chief people officer position. And I was like, oh no, this is not made for an analytics person. Because it seems like they have to deal with so many, I don't know, organizational type, I don't know, like I don't have I a nice word for it.
2: Relational issues as opposed to yeah. issues or technical issues. I, I totally I was gonna say
1: bullshit, but you you said it better than I did. Like they have to deal with so much stuff that it just doesn't seem like analytics leaders are really cut from that that box.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that because you know, I was at um a conference recently and the, the, it was a panel, it was a conference of of, um, uh, of a HR analytics company. And there was a panel of people analytics practitioners, and it was being moderated by the head of HR for that company. And he asked the question, because I, I know that, and, and he has the same uh, thinking as me about this projection. So he asked the, the group, it was about 100 or more People mostly people analytics practitioners and leaders. Who, uh, and he said, "Who is a people analytics leader practitioner?" And then, "Who of you want to become the head of
3: HR?" And he was shocked. I was shocked. It's two people. Um, Matter of how but many. I, but I think I think
2: uh, uh, the- all you're spot on. I think it's, it's discomfort with some of the non-technical.
0: Um, yeah that the, the, those people that want to be the head of hr are probably the people you don't want to be the head of hr <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> it's like there, there's something going the on with you the
1: crown. yeah well hey amit do you want to do some rapid fire questions sure yeah
0: let's do it let's do some rapid fire so i have five questions and we're coming up on the holiday season uh here so uh some questions for you okay first one uh would you rather uh participate in a secret santa or have a known present giver
2: secret santa, secret always, santa. You know, a bit of mystery always uh, uh, <laughs> is exciting.
0: uh if you're wrapping gifts uh are you like very exact are you like just throw it in a fucking yes. bag throw in no, a bag
2: very exact <laughs> do precise folds uh tape shouldn't show
0: uh, okay. Would you rather participate with a Christmas
3: movie in with like the family or go to a Christmas party?
1: I think party. Party, yeah. What about you, Cole?
0: I don't know this one.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I would do party every stinking time. That sounds <laughs> way more fun.
0: Uh, okay. Are you happy with any gift or are you looking for the gift receipt?
2: <laughs> I'm happy with any gift. It's always a a thought that counts. And there's a secondary market for gifts. So, um, you know, you can always use it.
0: Oh, re re gifting? I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, giving it forward, pay it forward. I love it. Exactly. Okay. Final one. Uh, Holidays, are they stressful or are they relaxing? Stressful. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Totally agree.
3: Yeah. I don't know if I'm capable of being
2: relaxed to be <laughs> honest. But
3: you guys like have any story. uh uh wait wait let, let,
2: let me uh go to Cole on that. Cole you seem to be the most relaxed, chill, uh people Alex dude. Uh so I'm surprised by that comment that you feel stressed.
1: Well it's not no it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily stress. Like I, I used to have an old boss who was like Cole, you need to go take a vacation, go to the beach. And I'm like I don't want to go to the beach. I'm going to be so bored. (laughs) Like I just, I like, I don't know. It's kind of like idle hands or the devil's play thing. I just need something to be doing all the time. I I get, I get really bored and anxious quickly.
2: Yeah. I hear that. Um, when we go to vacations, if it's a resort vacation, I got to get out after two days.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do something.
3: Not my wavelength. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you want to pop into the nerdery? Let's do some nerdery. Let's
0: do some do nerdery.
1: Am I muted? Yeah. I am, I am not. Well, what nerve. you got for us today, Scott?
0: Uh, well, I mean, this is a kind of a tumultuous time. So this is an oldie but a goodie. But you know, people are being laid off right now, and there's a lot of fear in organizations. Uh, so it's a great summary article. It's uh, is fear good in organizations? Um, but as you can imagine, uh, the influences of fear are rather pervasive, and generally have an effect of and silencing employees' opinions, so like they don't want to speak up to the boss, they' co-workers, this sort of thing. Uh, organizations can counteract this a bit by creating safe spaces to vent this sort of things. But like what I'm really interested in is like how, how does this impact innovation in the future if people refuse to speak up, you have this like emperor's new clothes sort of phenomenon where they just they're, they're going to go along to get along.
2: Yeah, so I'll be a little measured here because uh, I'm with psychologists, and fear is probably something that you guys have studied. Yeah, I haven't. There's I'm an economist. There's no market for fear,
1: uh,
2: so <laughs> so I'm at a disadvantage. I think
1: there's a market for scary movies. Yeah,
2: uh, true, true. Uh, it's a good proxy. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I think the, the the academic finding is that when there's fear. Then people don't speak up, um, and and possibly bad things could happen, and also uh, there's a clamp on innovation. I think it's it's absolutely true. I think fear is one of the worst things you could have in an organization. Yes, um, it it has, you know, different sources. Obviously, right? Fear of uh, uh, fear of the boss for whatever reason they might hit you or retaliate or do something there's uh and then there's just fears that every person probably has at some level of consciousness um fear of failure mm-hmm. fear of being exposed as you know fraud um by the imposter syndrome yeah failure of be uh, you know fear of being laughed at um because your ideas are not as smart as you think uh, i uh of- losing your
0: reputation. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, so, sorry. Uh, first, I, I messed up the title. It's silenced by fear is the name of this uh, chapter review, And a- Amy Everson is uh, one of the authors, but they do differentiate between two types of silence. One is this sort of like uh, deliberative silence where you're like, you're really contemplating a question and like, you haven't formulated an answer yet. The other is like, I'm not going there because I don't want to rock the boat. And so, like, you're hitting on all these sort of aspects.
2: Yeah, it's fear of consequences. Um, yeah. Like, negative consequences yeah. that, that, you know, constrain you from speaking your mind or, or doing things. But, you know, there are some, um, if you look at fear from another angle, uh, there's fear of becoming obsolete, which mm, should trigger yeah. in you yeah. a desire to upskill there is a fear of maybe missing out on on different opportunities, which should Mm -hmm. calcate in you this um, openness to new situations. So, you know, those are the the motivating aspects fear. Yeah. 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 Because I was thinking, what's what's the opposite of fear? Courage comes to mind, right? But absolutely. But then there's this whole thing of motivation because fear is is a a negative motivator, right? Yeah. there are other negative motivators. What are the positive motivators which closest to fear?
0: I, I will say, uh, I, I've seen these TikTok videos and, like, Cole sends me TikToks of him dancing all the time. Nope, it not happen. <laughs> but it's, like these, like, these people, it's like, is my day in the life at a tech company. And, like, I roll in about 10.30 and then I go straight to the cafe and they give me, like, all his food. And then I go to the yoga studio and we kick out at 2 o'clock. And it's like, well, A, I guess you're just showing off. But B, like, you should have a little more fear. Like, you should be a little bit more worried than you are here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think about, like, this kind of ties back to the earlier parts of our conversation. Like, the fear of being obsolete. And that person who's, you know, in that TikTok video should probably worry about that a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Because they're not. But, like, I think about that in relation to chat GPT and what we were talking about there. But I also think about like the fear of kind of social consequences and being figured out for being a fraud. Like, I'll be honest, before I started publishing articles, I was super scared that people were gonna be mean to me. Like and I know that sounds really silly. And and maybe we and this ties back to like, you know, we have a really supportive community with people analytics, but I was really worried that the community wasn't gonna be supportive. And so, you know, that fear, it does exist. And so I guess, you know, that relates to the kind of psychological safety vein that this article is talking about.
0: Absolutely. I mean, like, there's no dress rehearsals. This is it. Right. So in reality, <laughs> no does kidding. Really, yeah. Yeah. In reality, uh, does anyone really care? So just go do what you want to do.
1: Now I've got a hypothesis, uh, Amit, and, um, I don't know if this is true, but I I suspect it's true just because I've heard you speak. I've seen the content you put out. I just imagine you're a very savvy leader in organizations. And, and and kind of back to the point of obsolescence here for a second. One of the things we wanted to talk to you about today is people analytics as a function and leaders of our field being more politically savvy in organizations to make sure that people analytics has a seat at the table, that it becomes a part of the bloodstream, that it isn't seen as just the add-on that we were talking about earlier. And so I'm wondering, do you have any advice for leaders in our field for being more politically savvy in their organizations to kind of play the game of organizational politics?
2: Yeah, my advice is embrace it. Embrace it and excel in it. Um, For my dissertation, I interviewed and surveyed uh, a whole bunch of uh, what I call founding people, analytics leaders, the very first people. Oh, yeah,
1: you did do that. I remember that.
2: Yeah. So, uh, and I asked them, you know, what are their regrets? If they've, if they'd finished that, at least one stint. And one of the regrets was not realizing how political things are. And if they did realize it, not engaging more. Uh, in the game, as you call it, right?
0: What, so, what does that? What does that mean? Like, I, I don't consider myself political, but what does politics mean to you? In so organization? it's
2: it's about the the uh, ownership, the the attainment and and uh, uh, retention and expansion of power. Hmm. Uh, and power is essentially decision making rights, uh, budget rights, uh, you know, rights to resources. Um, domain over your own yeah yeah um organization so, yeah and so you know there's you have to you have to right away understand even during the interview stage understand what are the power structures, what are the power lines, who's really in charge. Uh it may actually not it's like the uh formal organization and the informal organization that you get mm-hmm. through the X ray of ONA, right? And so who's really wielding the power? Who 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 has who can kind of say no and everyone has to listen? It could be some HR leader, not the head of HR. Um, it depends, you know, the different organizational structures, centralized, decentralized. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's an element of that. You have to understand who's got the power. And when you're starting people analytics, uh, you don't have much power. Uh, you have the potential for power. And at the end of the day, you will actually have a lot of it because knowledge is power and you know potentially everything that's going on in, in, in the world of HR, right? Um, and so you have to, to prepare yourself for that because uh, if you're not ready for that, then it's not good.
0: Like back, back, back to your point about like network analysis, like you'll often find that uh, like the person next to the person in power has most of the gatekeeping rights. So it's like, we've all like, you got to be nice to the secretary because otherwise she won't put you on the calendar with the head. And therefore that person is really the controlling structure. And we, we have these sort of like examples all over the place. Yeah,
2: you know, that's, a, that's a great example. Um, so it's, it's dispersed, even though it, it may not seem that way in, in the org structure. So you have to figure that out. And, um, you know, often, um, headcount is a sign of power, right? So mm. yes. through more headcount, you crew more power. And that's unfortunate uh, because it doesn't look at, you know, how you run your organization, just the size of it. And I think maybe because everyone's focused on getting more headcount, uh, we land up in the situation as we are today where you've got to let a lot of, lot of people go. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a negative consequence of it but yeah i think people have to understand it and i i, I began reading this book it was recommended to me because i was you know i've written uh two blog posts uh, among many but one is people analytics and particle physics mm-hmm. and the other is people analytics and poetry and the third one in what i
3: hope, hope to, to think of as a triptych is
2: people analytics and power yeah uh, and the power, the powerlessness that new people analytics leaders find themselves with initially. Yes. But then the potential for immense power within HR, um, because if you think about it, and this is a, a, a feature of the slow adoption of people analytics, right? So everyone is for it in theory, right? Who's, who could be against it? It's it's awesome. But what begins to happen is that some of the stakeholders begin to realize that uh, their power is under threat. Because, yes. for example, a senior HR leader might begin to realize, oh my god, now these people these guys are going to expose the fact that I've not been running a tight ship. Uh, or that once the comparative numbers across business units are revealed, that I end up in the bottom quartile. and. I stop with the CHRO will sync so you begin to um to wield that power and if you don't realize that's what's going on and if you don't know how to you know uh, wield that power
3: well for good always for good um, then then uh, it's unlikely you'll be successful
2: in growing the people business
1: yeah I, I really want to like emphasize what you're saying because I, I'm as guilty of this as the next person is I thought being a people analytics leader meant you could come in and be a neutral arbiter of data for an organization and that's just too idealistic is that you 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 are a stakeholder you are a cog in the machine and therefore you have to play you know these roles in the organization to be effective as a leader or you know if that as the expression goes if you're not at the table you're likely on the menu and i think we've seen in very recent weeks that a lot of people analytics teams were on the menu and it was not a good outcome and and so it, it is really really important that leaders understand this in terms of being an effective people analytics leader so i really appreciate you sharing that amit
2: yeah i mean you have um power in the sense which analysis do you show which uh... What what do you include or not include in your analysis? Uh, how do you frame the the outcome or the result? Right? Um, which story do you tell? Do you tell a story or do you tell a tale? Yeah. <laughs> so you have you have editorial right. First dibs on editorial right on how the the data and how the analysis is explained. That's tremendous power, right? And yep. and and you have to be careful not to let somebody else uh, take that power, because they may not use it for good. Right? I, think, I think we're yeah. in a situation where, by and large, uh, you're right, people analytics folks go in with this notion of neutrality of objectivity. Um, but data and analytics, by their nature, you would assume it's all kind of objective. But there's so much subjectivity so
0: many choices that are made throughout the the process.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then just one last thing on power, you know, so it's, it's all of these things, but playing the game also means being really wary of who's got your back. Mm -hmm. And who's out to, to get you
0: and believe
2: it or not in every organization for all kinds of reasons, you have, you have uh, many of the latter.
0: Man, that is just super insightful. I I was talking to Cole some time ago about uh, a situation. And he has something really insightful to say. I, I won't necessarily put words in Cole's mouth, but he essentially said that like, the higher you go in the organization, the better people are at these political games. And they grow to like it. So you get this sort of select group, which is possibly why uh, people in the leaders don't necessarily thrive in this environment.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I saw it through the psychological phenomena of attraction, selection, attrition. And it's the people that make it to the highest levels of the organization, they're the ones who don't get selected out along that's the way. And so all that's left is people who want to play these games. And so if you're going to be in a savvy political uh, people analytics leader, you've got to you know, be savvy in these ways to what, what organizations are staffed as.
2: Yeah, but it's all, it's all uh, uh, fun and games compared to politics and academic departments. I think no kidding,
0: kidding. <laughs> Jeez, that's that's the real blood sport, huh? <laughs> yeah <laughs> life on the farm at Stanford. Uh, get yeah. a little brutal, huh?
2: Uh, no, not Stanford. I'm you know I'm not in I, I'm in the school for continuing studies so it's a bit of a not there
0: me. not there
1: well, maybe maybe we pivot for our last nerdery topic. I just wanted to talk about this this article that taught that did some research. It's called the Robot Revolution, Managerial and Employment Consequences for Firms. And essentially what they were talking about is as firms adopt more automation and more robots in the organization, what they don't see usually is a decrease in their frontline workforce. What they do see is a reduce, a reduction in the number of managers in an organization, an increase in expanded control of those managers. And so it's kind of an interesting second order effect. I think most people assumed with automation that you would eliminate, you know, manual roles or frontline level roles. But really, it's been a reduction in managerial, um, you know, workforces. What, what are your reactions to this finding?
2: Yeah, so it is um, counterintuitive based on what we've experienced so far, but we haven't really experienced much. And this is one, uh, one study in one situation. So but it does lead us to think about um, the implications right because it certainly it makes sense
3: it's certainly possible um, and it's got a lot
2: of implications for uh, organizations uh, for workforce planning as well and uh, I think Paul you are the one who's not grounded in Star Trek is that right
1: that is correct you or are an, an, a, a, the you you, you picked up on the right things to take away from these episodes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: good, good, good. So, um, you know, increasingly the workforce is going to be populated uh, in addition to being populated by carbon-based units, i.e. human beings, also silicon-based units, so programs and robots. Uh, and so ultimately workforce planning is going to have to take that into account as work is allocated between the two. But until now, we've always thought about the work, not the supervision. And so this this is actually quite an interesting thing to consider. Now, it depends what level of supervision and whether it's true supervision, because there's supervision and there's management and there's leadership, right? So I'm not sure what context the word was used. But to supervise is essentially from our industrial heritage of workers, that would prefer, you know, this is also an economist's point of view. Rationally, workers would prefer not to work. They'd prefer to shirk. <laughs> <laughs> the, la- the language Sounds of. Sounds like
1: uh, that TikTok uh, video. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so then
2: you need, you need um, someone to monitor them, right? To make sure, to observe, to make sure that they are working. That's why you need the supervisor. Um, so it's so certainly got its supervisors are in frontline roles for the most part. Where, where you perhaps need this perhaps not. If you think about a lot of frontline work, it's all it's it's the part of uh, the labor force that's the most measured, right the mm-hmm. workers in in uh, distribution centers.
1: Yeah, um, we've talked about this before for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, so you have you have a lot of data there and and uh, so maybe it, it is amenable to robotic supervision. But then other you go a little bit higher and other kinds of work, perhaps
0: not. Yeah, for my 2020 COVID project, I transcribed all of the first seasons of all the series of Star Treks into a big network analysis and how they interact with one another. And the most central node, it's, it's on my Twitter if y'all want to go check it out, but the most central node was computer. <laughs> I wound up taking it out because it was just so dominant right in the middle but i never really thought about in those terms that like this is going to be our robot overlord. But i mean th- this uh, this also has implications for like Elon Musk at Twitter says uh all managers need to be able to code. And Steve Jobs has some insights as well of like th- they tried to bring in managers and like it just didn't work out at Apple. What they really needed was great individual level contributors that rose to managers because they could also teach the people below them. That's perhaps what we're seeing as well with like the automation aspect. Yeah. That you just don't need the managers.
2: Yeah. You know, Scott, you mentioned computer as the center of the node and staying back to the consumption and ease of consuming insight. So uh, my ultimate intention when I was building dashboards um, at an organization uh, was recognizing that people didn't come back to them because they had to do work. What I wanted to do is um, try and put on top of it uh, a Siri-like interface. So you could just ask the question. Because underneath it, all the data is structured, right, and and tagged and everything. So you should be able to ask in natural language um, queries of the data. Now this chatbot, uh, general AI, generative AI chatbot should make that even more feasible.
0: Yeah I I think we're seeing like an, an increased automation across uh not only uh the business but HR as well so you got like these chatbots that eliminate the need for employees to go uh search for uh, compensation information or like how how do you get your uh benefits these sort of like common questions that they can better answered by uh just like self-service sort of things
2: Yeah if you think about it, you know we have our tricorders. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have our tricorders, <laughs> and we can invoke the computer anytime we want. to.
0: That's your communication badge, right there. Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. <laughs> you know, what
1: we you know what we didn't talk about today. I meant I meant to, but we haven't gotten there. What are you doing now? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you, I feel like you abandoned us in people analytics, and you've moved more into like corporate affairs. What the heck's going on there, man?
2: I haven't abandoned uh, the field at all. <laughs> it, was, it was a um, um, it was a question of timing and opportunity. So I just wrapped up my uh, doc- doctorate, and it was in analytics and change management.
1: Well, and congratulations was- again! Well done.
2: Thanks. You were very sweet when you joined my uh, Stanford course. Uh, you all you addressed me as Dr. Mohindra. And oh was, yeah, uh, I did. I, did. I, did. <laughs> I don't. I don't use. I don't use doctor uh, much at all. But it was. It was nice to hear because I had just just gotten it. Um, what was this? Uh, yeah. So so the op- I, I heard about this opportunity uh, uh, where a leader wanted to transform their organization into into a more data driven, uh, more digital uh, function, uh, which, and, it, and this was. The corporate affairs function, which includes communications, global sustainability, uh, corporate social responsibility, and public affairs. And so I I thought, well, I know analytics. I know change management. I don't know this field, this function. Um, I wonder if I can uh, make a difference here. And I can also learn about this new industry in pharmaceuticals. I work for a company called Takeda Pharmaceuticals. It's a Japanese biopharma company based in Tokyo with a large presence in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the remarkable thing about Takeda is it's 241 years old. So doing oh my things gosh. doing things right and uh, it, it you know coming Did out the of the company start only, on stone you, tablet <laughs> it, uh, coming out <laughs> of people <laughs> analytics gives you a bit of perspective <laughs> as well right because you're not immersed in it fully. I'm still attending conferences here and there, still reading the literature, uh, listening to the, to the best podcasts.
3: It's um, just a startup, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it gives you that crossover uh, and perspective and I'm learning something new and uh, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm, ha- I'm having fun and it allows me to, to, to mix things up. So uh, Cole, you were at that conference in New York the other day where I was speaking about building sustainable organizations. Like a combination Mm -hmm. of sustainability and ESG, and all the organizational uh, stuff that we get
3: involved with as people analysts.
1: Yeah, want to know what what is ESG just for the people who aren't familiar with the acronym? Uh,
2: Environment, social, governance. It's uh, the non-financial aspect. It's it's uh, come about uh, as a, I guess in. As a part of stakeholder capitalism, and um, so a lot of, uh, the E gets the most attention, uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, People Analytics plays a big role in the S, the social, which includes diversity, equity, inclusion, and uh, things like that. Yeah,
1: well, I think I think it's a really burgeoning area, and I, I see not just from I think per people's personal interest in the space, but it seems like there's legislative and you know, governmental interest and even kind of things like the World Economic Forum and things like that—they're that very interested in this space, especially for publicly traded companies. So, uh, for the leaders in our field that aren't aware of this space, they—they they should be because it's definitely gaining traction and steam. But I know uh, Scott had to pop off here because I guess some kind of fire came up. But Amit, just to kind of close this out, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on uh, on the podcast. Any any closing words for our audience?
2: No, thank you so much, uh, Cole and Scott for inviting me. Uh, real pleasure always connecting. Um, I actually wanted to invite Cole, uh, invite Scott because you've already been a guest speaker, Cole at my course. Yeah. I wanted to invite Scott uh, to be a guest speaker in the in the spring quarter. So I'll reach out reach out to him. And, Perfect. Uh, yeah, if you're, anyone's interested, keep your eyes open. I'll probably do a LinkedIn post. Um, uh, before registration begins, so everyone has time to uh, to register, and then yeah. I'm really delighted also that in January, I think the 24th, I'll be doing a webinar for Harvard Business School in their business oh. analytics, uh, program, and it's uh, related to people analytics. So I'm I'm going to be in my incarnation as the people analytics veteran, and it's kind of an ask me anything format. So I'll oh, okay. start how to nurture how to lead, uh, you know, and people. So uh, again, I'll do you have a link? Points. Do you have a link
1: that you can share that we could put in the show notes?
2: Not just yet, but I'll I'll, I'll share it with you and I'll, I'll I'll do a LinkedIn post once everything is finalized.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to kind of boost your message if we can, but um, no, and Scott would be an excellent guest at your course. He, him up with ONA and I promise you, he won't disappoint. I've seen him speak before. I've, I've invited him to speak at, organizations where I worked in the past. He has been excellent. So he would be a great guest. But um, well, th- thank you again, Amit, for, for joining. Or Dr. Mohendra, I should have said uh, <laughs> earlier. But thank you for joining us today. And you've been listening to Directionally Correct, a uh, People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott. Thanks for joining us today.
0: As always, all opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott, powered by
3: Agnostic.